Second Kings chapter 2 and verse number 9 reads like this, And it came to pass, when they were gone over, that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. Welcome to Double Portion Podcast. Aggravating circumstances in my life. Welcome back to Double Portion, the podcast. We are so excited to have you. And I am excited about today's podcast because we have a very special guest with us. We have been talking about doing this for many, many weeks. He has been with us here in Pueblo since about March of this year. And God is doing great things. So I don't want to... I don't want to necessarily rush, but I want to jump right into this podcast because we want to give this man all of the time that he needs to break down what he is going to be speaking to us because I feel it is very important for us young people. Well, it's important for everybody, but this podcast is geared towards young people. So I'm going to quickly turn it over to Bishop here, and he's going to introduce our guest who is with us today. Thank you, Brother Jeffrey, and it's great to be back with Jeffrey and Mitchell and <clears throat> Jordan Pound, our producer, who does such a fabulous job. Uh, thank you, Brother Pound, for your dedication, and we are so excited today to to reach out to all of our listeners and those that are watching and let you know how much we appreciate you being a part of our family here at Double Portion Podcast. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I want to say how excited I am today to have our special guest, and that guest is Evangelist Greg Godwin. And I am just thrilled that we have this opportunity to uh, to have him in the studio with us uh, today. And we've really looked forward to this. Brother Godwin, I was trying to think back how long we've known each other. It's been a quite a few years. It has been a long time. And we're still young men. Yes, we are. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> we're just delighted to have you with us today. And um, you have been evangelizing how many years now? 31. 31 years. Yes, sir. So this is, you feel like this is a calling in your life. Yes, sir. It's uh, absolutely a calling. Uh, long story to how it all happened, but basically we were, I was sitting down at Brother Mooney's and Calvary Tabernacle in Indianapolis, he called and asked me to come. Told me he had only done it with one other preacher. And so we went and were there a couple of weeks and I went back home and got stuff and got there and had a job, and we got an apartment, was there for about two weeks, and he waved me back into the prayer room on a Sunday morning. He said, hey, you already back? And I said, yes, sir, I'm back. And got a job and told him where it was, and we about 10 minutes, and he said, okay, so you're here, huh? I said, yes, sir, and he just, his whole visage changed, and he's, of course, taller than me. 
he pointed right at me, pointed at my chest. He said, okay, now listen, you are going to sit. There's chairs on the platform, but not for you. There's an office back in the office complex, but not for you. You are going to sit. And uh, he talked to me, and I began to weep and cry and said, okay. And he prayed with me. He said, okay, go sit down. I went and sat down back on the back row or second to back seat to the back row. And he probably didn't say, I'll say 100 words. I don't think it was 20 words to me for the next seven months. And he'd walk past me, just look at me and keep walking in that vestibule or the, the pews there at the church or whatever. And finally, one night, Brother Urshan was there on New Year's Eve preaching and they were sitting on platform and I was sitting on front row because he had, had elevated me to coach the basketball team. <laughs> and this is after eight years of ministry. I'd been working and it went just shut down. And I saw him talking on platform and something said to me, they're talking about you. And I just started weeping. You know, Greg, you got to get this together. So when Brother Urshan got done preaching, I went straight to the altar off the front row right in front of the pulpit and crying and down in there 15, 20 minutes. And all of a sudden, Brother Mooney come over and in my right ear, he said to me, Bishop said, that's enough. You're preaching Wednesday and walked off. And I preached that coming Wednesday night on who are these that have come out of great tribulation, <laughs> Revelation 7. And we had eight people got the Holy Ghost. And from there, I got to preach a couple, two or three times. And then it uh, just people started calling out of the clear blue. And uh, so we've been doing this 31 years, and I've only made five calls to initiate the revival, and that was in the first three or four years of preaching, and that the Lord's just been blessing. It's been wonderful. You know, uh, God has been gracious to me. I'm I'm not that old. I don't think 58 We're the same age. is that old. Yeah. <laughs> But I did have the honor of knowing Brother Verbal Bean at a, mm -hmm. I was a very young man, but my father was uh, friends with Brother Bean. So I remember going to uh, one or two of the Deeper Life conferences that he had in Houston with my father at a very early age, uh, probably seven years old, somewhere around there. But I remember. And... Uh, then I was privileged to know uh, Brother Keith Clark very well. And I think that those two men have shaped the apostolic world in intrinsic ways that only heaven will tell. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you this, Brother Godwin, I think that that the ministry that God has given you is, is in that category yeah. where... Uh, there are men that perhaps are they're called to certain ministries, but they never recognize, and they're always looking like the grass is greener on the other side, and they don't realize the effectiveness mm -hmm. of their calling if they would give themselves totally to it, mm -hmm. how powerful they would be to God and His kingdom. Yes, sir. And I do recognize that. In, in your life, and we could talk about that to a great degree because that is so important. Yes. The work of an evangelist is, is imperative for a church mm -hmm. to have the revival that God wants them to have. So maybe you would want to comment a little bit about that before we get into 
a subject that I think that your comments and what you just said is a preface to this revelation that God has given you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree with you uh, on the fivefold ministry. I believe that they are God called positions and ministries. Um, I can say that you know God definitely called me. Uh, and it was it was the call that's kept me to this day and it's kept me focused and I knew everything that's been going on all the traveling God you're doing this I'm not calling I'm not making calls people are calling me and uh For me, uh, I was, Brother Mooney had um, set me down for seven or eight months, and then uh, about 10th or 11th month in it, he began to involve us in some ministry things, and just quickly, over two or three weeks, went from checking the people in the auditor- uh, the vestibule coming in, trying to get a total of visitors that we had, and would give that to him, and he had you know announced it for a couple of weeks, then he had me do a couple other things, and wanting to do a Sunday school, and we did that, and told me when he's, I was getting ready to leave office, he said, Brother Godwin, he said, give me, the, give me the privilege of changing this tomorrow if we want to, and nothing we talked about in those three meetings about Sunday school did we do, and I think maybe it was more he was checking me and uh, my posture and my obedience to him and his request, because I was working selling insurance, you know, the whole time, and when he had called, boom, I'd just go, and uh, so when we started evangelizing, uh, he had us come come to him because we were was gone a little quite a bit, and he was giving the calls to us and telling us they want you to come, so go. And I'd come, and after three or four weeks of it, he asked me, "Was I doing okay?" And I said, "Well, yeah, I'm doing okay." He said, "What's wrong?" I said, "Well, I said I hadn't been home to sell any insurance, and I said I'm I'm about to have a, a major problem." He said, "What do you mean?" I said, "Well." I'm not making any money. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, they're not paying me. And he said, what, why not? I said, I don't know. I guess maybe because they know I'm selling insurance or whatever. But if I'm not out selling and got stuff in the hopper, it's not coming out, you know. So I've been doing this three or four months, and so I don't have no no policies in getting approved. I ain't got nothing coming out. And they were, it was one of the tougher times. It was 100, 150 bucks a week, a couple times $200. And when he found that out, he was livid, you know. And so we began to talk, and then he said, well, you know, your friends are calling you. He said, you need to go out, and you and your family go out and be out four or five months. When you get done, just come back. So as we kept talking, he said, okay. He said, if you got two Sundays in a row, no place to preach, come home. Don't call anybody for a meeting. If nobody calls you two Sundays in a row, just come back home. We'll figure something out. And it never happened. Have you ever wondered what's at the root of homelessness? I used to try to describe it to my husband that um, I said, I feel like I'm in this big spider web and I'm stuck in there. And how wraparound approaches at missions aim to make a difference? It's the things like that. The people who communicated that in spite of my rough edges, that they authentically cared about me. On the Restorers podcast, we'll talk to experts, investigate current issues, share stories, and give you an inside look at how we at Water Street Mission tackle issues related to homelessness and poverty every single day. 
Join us by searching Restorers wherever you find your podcasts. You know, you mentioned this is the old school. I evangelized for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And back in those days, you just didn't call. Mm -mm. You allowed God to work it out. And it's amazing you say that because it was the same way with us. Mm -hmm. God opened doors. In fact, it was the Lord that moved on me at the first of the, it was actually last year Mm -hmm. during the COVID that God spoke to me about uh, you coming to be with us Mm. um, because of the, and it's really hard to describe this, but I I say this for the, the fact that there are young men and perhaps even young ladies that are listening to this right now are watching this, that the call, the evangelistic call is upon their life. Mm-hmm. Now, all of us are called to evangelize. Mm-hmm. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's where the word evangel comes from. It's the same word that we use for uh, funerals when we talk. Uh, what's the word they use about that when you speak well of somebody, the eulogy. Mm-hmm. It is where we get the word eulogy where we get the word evangel or to evangelize or good news. And so we're all called to -hmm. give the good news of the gospel. Mm -hmm. However, there are those that are in the fivefold ministry that are called to Mm -hmm. do the work of an evangelist. And there's just a special touch on their life for that. And, and so we've recognized that in your life for years. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that was one of the reasons why that I felt like that God moved on us to give you a call. And uh, the second reason is because of the very subject that we want to get to eventually, the over-under mm-hmm. revelations that God has given you. But we don't have to get there right now. I, mm-hmm. I want to talk to young people about evangelism because not everybody is called to do that. Now, we all can do that. Right. Paul told Timothy as a pastor of the church of Ephesus, do the work of an evangelist. Mm -hmm. And I think we all should do that. Right. But there is just that particular call Mm -hmm. that God puts on some men and some ladies that they have that ability to be effective in the capacity of coming into a local church and being able to be sensitive to the Holy Ghost and to rouse that church yes. into the revival that God has called them to have. Yes, I remember uh, when it started the first month or so I was out, Brother Morgan uh, was pastoring in Okmulgee at the time, and he called me, he's a very close friend, has been for many years, and he called me and uh, said, I got a word for you, and I said, okay. He said, you're evangelizing, and he said, if you will focus on reaching lost souls and you will preach to them said you will be busy God has, and that's what God's called you to do because all the churches I had assisted at from Torrington Connecticut to South to Walkerton Indiana to Pryor Oklahoma to Mounds Oklahoma all those churches I we had one people there and we helped do outreach there work full-time jobs and just Constantly just inviting people to church. And we had one souls at every church that we were. And so it was just in my gear. And Brother Morgan knew me from when I was in South Tulsa and Mounds. And that's what I did. We had every Monday night, I had 54 new converts that I taught. Every Monday night, level one, level two of in my father's house. 
we had won them through Bible studies. And uh, it was just powerful, wonderful times. I sold insurance too. And so we were supposed to sell insurance at night. And I ended up not doing it at night because they wanted to have a class on Monday night because it took a night away from all their friends and all that. So we got to teaching them. And I did that, 54 uh, new converts every Monday night for eight months. And uh, it was just special. So whenever we started evangelizing, he said, stay focused on it. And so that's what I've tried to do. I have an interesting question mm -hmm. because I know for myself personally, one of the greatest assets to my ministry. Sorry. It's my crying. grandkids. <laughs> uh, one of the greatest aspects of my preaching ministry, I believe it has helped my preaching ministry more than any of the books that I've studied. And I'm a, I am a raucous reader. Mm -hmm. I love to read more than probably any other source is home Bible studies. Mm -hmm. I have learned more about the Word of God and the human soul and how it reacts to the Word of God teaching home Bible studies. And it has been so powerful in aiding me in my preaching. Yes. I just, I heard you talk about home Bible studies. Mm -hmm. So do you, do you think that played a role in your ministry? Absolutely. That time when we were in Mounds, um, I had the 54 new converts besides teaching whole Bible studies. It forced me to really dig in on oneness, new birth, and separation, the growth process. And I really dug into it and would study at night. And then I, it helped me to learn to simplify it for new converts. Because you can, you can teach yeah. oneness, new birth, and holiness, and be shooting completely over their head. And doing nothing but scratching, as we say, scratching your own itch. But the Lord helped me to break down the heavy stuff of the oneness, the heavy stuff of the new birth, and simplify it. And then once we got them secured on that, then we went into separation, which ended up being weeks down the road. Some of them already began to make progressive steps, began to already change things, all of that. But as we began to teach the standards and reason for separation, difference between male and female, uh, we would have many nights the Holy Ghost would fall with those 54 and we would go till 9, 10 o'clock at night. Uh, it was just, we'd have set level one of her in my father's house and then we'd have dinner and then we'd go into level two. But the Holy Ghost would take over. We'd miss the dinner. I had pizzas and stuff. We'd miss and we'd go into praying. They'd be weeping and crying. And most of the time, they all, when I left, they were all still in church but it was because of that and it really helped me when I became evangelized because I could preach at a level that I could connect to the to the to the center and learn how to take dominion in the spirit that yes is, when you talk about that especially if we're dealing with young men and young ladies mm -hmm. because it's not a physical thing to take dominion in the spirit and it's so difficult to articulate to people it truly is uh, what Jesus said, this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and by fasting mm -hmm. and learning how that dominion comes first in one's own life uh -huh. and how amazingly when we align ourselves with God that that dominion spreads out of our life yes. into the life of others and you're just sitting there talking about something that's not even related 
and all of a sudden those people it's like pushing a button back here yep. and god will have a response totally different over here absolutely and, and that would happen i mean we'd be sitting had 10 or 12 tables out there and i mean the whole you'd see it the revelation would if it was oneness or new birth or penance baptism in jesus name or baptism of the holy ghost the necessity of it and why it made us different and why that new birth was god's plan opposed from just accepting the Lord as your personal Savior and that kind of stuff. It was biblical. And when they actually saw that what had happened to them was God's plan, I mean, they would just be weeping, crying. A lot of them were drug addicts. Uh, a lot of them were from other denominational churches. That's why they wanted another night so they didn't have to be pulled by them and all of that. But we began to teach. And then when the light would go on, you could see it. Their eyes would brighten up and immediately they'd go to weeping. And you just, and that was the end of the lesson. I mean, we'd end up praying. They'd be, and that's where they'd make even more commitments in their walk with God when they saw it in the Word. Are you driven by a desire to create change? Dive into From Passion to Purpose, where we unlock the stories of nonprofit trailblazers. Get inspired as leaders share invaluable tips and transformative tales that empower you to make a lasting impact in your community. Tune in and ignite your passion into purpose today. You know, that is so important. I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but we're at the, the catapult that really ushered you into the the ministry that God intended for you was the revival that you preached in Modesto, California in 1992. Mm -hmm. And I remember that because it was in the middle of that, or towards the end of that, that Pastor Keys came fishing with me out here, spent a week with us. Uh -huh. And uh, uh, it was... It was an amazing time because he talked about that revival. If anybody knows uh, Randy G. Mm -hmm. Keys, he is all about the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. And that's one reason I love the fact that God allowed us to be around him as mm -hmm. he was so inspiring to us. Yes. To stay focused, to be who God had called us to be. Right. And he was so gracious to come and spend a week with us. I was taking him fishing, but I was... I was fishing. It wasn't in the <laughs> pond. I wanted that anointing in yep. my life, yep. you know. And uh, and he talked about how that uh, he he knew that God had sent you, and it just exploded. And there were he talked, and if if my memory, you'll have to correct me if my memory serves me right. And he was so hesitant to say this because they were y'all were receiving tremendous criticism mm -hmm. from a lot of people mm -hmm. but it was pretty close or over a thousand people yes sir that received the baptism of the holy ghost and i don't know how many were baptized in jesus name there was over 500 that were baptized i know and uh there was probably total that had prayed to it was probably around 14 1500 but ever sunday they would bring the numbers up to the office, be he and I and three or four preachers and staff people would be up there and, he, and they'd say, have you double-checked them? And they say, yes, sir. are you sure you've double-checked them? We have no duplicates. No, sir. And he'd start crying. And like the first first week, we had 68 
people pray through, brand new people. And when it was done, he said, let's count 40. And then the next Sunday, we had 150 something pray through. And he said, let's count 100. And he would cut it down like that every week. Well, it was about five weeks. I said, Brother Keith, you just, it don't matter to me. I don't count anybody. Y'all count them. It's, it's whatever y'all got. You know, I just trying to pray them through. I said, why are you cutting the numbers down? He started crying. And he said, Greg, as I told you the first Sunday, we're going to get hit a lot. But I know what God wants to do. And he said, I'm trying to keep these numbers down where they're a little bit digestible. God knows who got the Holy Ghost. It's not really that important, the number. So he would cut those numbers down. And uh, so I would, I would always say around 1,000 got the Holy Ghost, you know. And it was unbelievable. Gangs, we had a Saturday Night Live, we'd call it. We'd done that three years in a row. And the fourth year he called me. Caught me in a Super 8 hotel in Glenpool, Oklahoma. I answered the phone. It was him. I couldn't believe he found me. And he told me, he said, God told me to call you. He said, we're going to have a revival. And he started crying. He said, Greg, it's going to be prime time revival. I wrote it on the calendar. And it's two weeks. And I got real nervous because I'd got nervous that year and booked up six months. I'd left open two weeks, the week of because of times and the week before it. I was going to be at Brother Ewing's. And I asked him what two weeks was it, and he named those two weeks. And I started crying. He said, what's wrong? I said, Bishop, I got scared this year. I've got every week booked all the way into June except for those two weeks. He said, Greg, I'm telling you, it's God. It's primetime revival. He said, I'll call Brother Mangan for you and tell Did him. Did you say June? Yes, all the way to June. Oh, I had it booked up oh. except for those two weeks. And he said, you call Brother Ewing. If you have problems, just have him call me. So I called Brother Ewing and said, Papa, Bishop, said, this is what happened. Brother Keys called. And he said, Bubba, my God, I feel the Holy Ghost. You just go ahead and go. When it gets done, you can come back. And it just, that first week, it just blew. We had preached on Jesus' name baptism that first Sunday morning. And we left and came back Sunday night. And they were baptized in the last couple. They had baptized people all afternoon, 30-something people. And uh, it was just beyond description. It was the biggest thing I'd ever seen. I had to get in and dig in and get myself geared up and my faith up because it was it was bigger than anything I'd ever seen. Well, and it's so fascinating. I would love to spend time here. And I want to say this carefully because this is not criticism. This mm -hmm. is just observation. <clears throat> this is so contrary to your nature so contrary to your raising, mm -hmm. so contrary to the teachings mm -hmm. of your raising, mm -hmm. so contrary to your higher educational mm -hmm. training. Yep. And and so talk a little bit about how God had to, was it Brother Keys that was kind of mentoring you along there, or did you really have the faith? Because we're talking to young people, mm -hmm. Brother Godwin, yep. that God wants to use. I feel an yes. anointing of God yes, sir. I'm I feel talking it. to you yes, right sir. now. There are young men. Yes, sir. And young ladies. Yes, sir. We're in the last days. We're Absolutely. in the end time. Absolutely. And God wants to pour out His Spirit. Absolutely. In a mighty way. Absolutely. So talk to us, because they're <clears throat> fighting these same spirits yes. that you had to fight, and these same, you know, trepidation and stuff that mm -hmm. a man's got to break through to become yep. who God has called him to become. Yes, well, my pastor was with R.D. Whalen, who just this last year passed away, and his wife, and and I'm forever grateful that he was my pastor. He was a great man. Oh, I knew R.D. Whalen. He was just 
fabulous on the doctrine. I mean, dead set. I mean, locked in on it was fabulous. But in Oklahoma, <clears throat> because of the latter rain that happened in the 40s and 50s, there was a lot of trepidation. And in Oklahoma, a lot of the ministers before Brother Whalen got there from ABI and from Ohio, uh, they had locked, the district had just locked down. Pastors just took control, cut the evangelistics, evangelism ministry Let's out. Let's explain the latter rain, because a lot of young people yeah. that we're talking to, they don't. The latter rain was a movement back in the 50s, probably late 40s, mm -hmm. early 50s. There was such a powerful move of the Holy Ghost that was sweeping not just the United States, but world. the whole world. Mm -hmm. But there were men that became totally loose cannons yes, and women, and they would just go up and say the Holy Ghost told them to do crazy stuff, mm -hmm. and they would see the oil, blood of Jesus. Oil, yeah, oil dripping off their hands, it, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, like just that. nuts of stuff. Well, it was not according to Scripture. And so there were many, many good apostolic people, Pentecostal people, that would stand in opposition to that, but they swung clear the other way, and they would throw the baby out with the bath water, right. and they would just deny any moving of the gifts of the Spirit, etc. Right. Thank God, in the circles that we live in, there were men like C.P. Williams. Yep. There were men down south that I can't think of their names right now. And of Kilgore, Brother Beckton. Yes, many, kind of many yeah. of these men that would stand against the falseness of, that Satan always will come up with a counterfeit and a pseudo-Pentecost. Mm -hmm. But yet, it's still real. Yes. But the problem was, of many of these men, they overreacted and right. so they just totally shut down the gifts Correct. of the spirit and that was very prevalent where you were yes sir and so and trained. yeah what did for me when i go to youth camp which i just loved uh as a young kid i mean it just blew my mind the difference in youth camp and camp meeting services compared to my home church the home church now home church was great uh the only thing was there wasn't a lot of people got the holy ghost uh, Brother Whalen had said if we had six or eight people get the Holy Ghost a year, we had a great year. Uh, my brother was one that got the Holy Ghost in the local church, Brother Larson was preaching. Randy Hollis got the Holy Ghost on a Friday night youth service. He's the only one I think that I know of that got the Holy Ghost on Friday night youth service. He backslid and came back. He was about 21, 22, and was a DJ at a, at a, a big disco thing in our town and came. And got the Holy Ghost, went out to his car and poured the, the whiskey and liquor out in the in the parking lot. And so <clears throat> I would go home uh, after camp and I'd just watch the difference. You know, the services were just so wonderful, praying in the altars and just seeking God and beautiful worship and all that. But at home, it was just locked down. And so mom and dad never said anything negative about Brother Whalen, which would be first point. I was raised with parents that did not talk negatively about pastor, Brother Whalen, or any preacher. They just, when I had questions, they say, we're going to help you pray. That is and a very important, we're going to get to that here yep. in a little bit. I mean, that, that's just what they did. And so it just kept me searching and searching and searching. <clears throat> and uh, when I got the Holy Ghost, uh, June 27th, 1978, at the camp, I'd been seeking the Lord and trying to get the Holy Ghost and couldn't. And uh, it's just a chronic, you know, is what we were. 
And uh, I'd sat down on the altar, and Brother Roberts, he was Pastor Norman, he said, Greg, don't you believe God gave you the Holy Ghost? And I remember thinking, well, that's stupid. I mean, I'd be out here sweating. There was no air conditioning in the building. And, you know, got people hollering in one ear, hold on, another one turn loose and, you know, say this. And so you got 10 people talking to you. I couldn't keep it straight and uh, sweating like crazy. And uh, I, I wanted to say something, but I just looked up at him and said, yes, sir, I believe I can get it. He said, stand up. I believe you open your mouth, you'll be talking in tongues. So I stood up off the altar, lifted my hands in my mind. I was saying, thank you, Jesus. But I was hearing something else was coming out. And I was trying to control what I was saying uh, for whatever reason. And I couldn't. And it, it snapped on me. It, it dawned on me. You're getting the Holy Ghost. And I just began to weep and cry and jump up and down. And I finally got, when I realized I got the Holy Ghost, I went to hugging everybody. Well, everybody that was there was just our church out of the whole campground. You know, it was about 3,000 people left. And we were down there and our 30 or 40 people from church. And I got the Holy Ghost, walked out of camp, and the enemy said to me, you didn't get it. And I remember getting in my little Volkswagen and saying, you're a lying devil. I did get the Holy Ghost. Yes, sir. <laughs> so that was my beginning. And it was just, uh, it was I was raised with extreme caution about the gifts and all of that. But then I had great friends when I got in ministry after Bible school. Brother McGray, the first church I worked in, Fabulous, great man of God. All the oneness, new birth, separation, holiness, respect, all of that was there, but he moved in the gifts. It blew my mind. Went to Walkerton, same thing. Went to Pryor, a little bit of the, had a little bit of the gifts. Who was the pastor of Pryor at that time? Was uh, the Devers, Russell Devers okay. was the pastor. He was a um, uh, doctor in the uh, cross street from the church. And, uh, and we had we had tongues interpretation thing there, and it was fine. It just blew my mind. But when I got to Mounds with Brother Stacy, that's when I had my first encounter with what we would call apostolic ministry. I remember being stunned uh, just at the move of the gifts of the Spirit, and everything happened, and people getting the Holy Ghost. Brother Urshan came preach one Sunday morning, came in the back door. Worship was going. People were running. He stepped in the back door looking. He was just looking. He threw his hand up in the air and walked right down the middle aisle. I mean, he barely got to preach. The church was fantastic. And so that's when I really, okay, this is it. And then I got connected to Gary Howard, just in Jinx, just a couple of towns up. And uh, there's when I met Brother Morgan and Brother Schweitzer and uh, men like that. And it was when I met Brother Howard and Brother Morgan, it just... Shot me right through the the heavens. I mean, I was at his house one night praying with him after he'd been there about Gary or Mark Mark Morgan. Okay, I was there at his house and we were talking about the Lord. I was young and he, I was just begging him for information. And the Holy Ghost fell in the room. The couch is kind of cat a corner to the wall. And all I remember was whenever I got done praying. Mark was over the couch praying with me. I had flipped over the back of the couch. It was on the was on the floor. It was drunk in the Holy Ghost. And Mark come got me and he said, Greg, he said, God's done something for you. He went in his back room, got me a big set of cassette tapes that were one, two, four, four pages of uh six cassette tapes to a page and they were verbal beans tapes on the works of the Holy Ghost. He said, these are yours and you're ready for this. And they were originals. I've still got them. And it just shot me. <laughs> into, and I just 
then I realized, okay, Brother Whalen was great on the doctrine, the oneness, the whole, the offerings and giving and missions and holiness and separation. All that was great. But he didn't understand about the gifts because of the latter rain stuff. I'm cool with it. Sure. I had Brother Howard, Brother Morgan, Brother Stacy that had the gifts and they were all solid on the oneness and new birth. They were just as solid. And so those men nurtured me that next year and three quarters uh, that I was there. Brother Howard was just unbelievable. Brother Stacy, it was just fantastic. So that, uh, my respect that mom and dad instilled in me about ministry, their respect, got in me. And I remember when I got out of Bible college, the first time I heard someone talking bad to their pastor. It was a woman who walked up on the platform and you stop back there and started pointing her finger and screaming. And before I even thought, I stepped back three steps and looked straight up to the roof. I thought, my God, you're going to kill her. And I was stunned when lightning didn't strike. I mean, I thought this woman's a dead woman, you know. It's funny you say that. I was at Danny Schweitzer's <laughs> and a man come on his platform. <clears throat> this was years ago. And uh, <clears throat> started cursing Brother Schweitzer. And I started walking off the platform, and he said, where are you going, young man? I said, I'm leaving. God's going to strike you dead with lightning. <laughs> I just told him. And it didn't happen, no. but I want to tell you something. I just, what you're saying right now, Brother Godwin, is so important. Yes. And this is so important because on Facebook, and Twitter, and Instagram, a lot of you young men and young ladies, and whoever's listening and, and watching this, mm-hmm. You're seeing people take liberties that are not given by God mm. to speak ill. Yep. And just because you see false preachers, etc., does not give us the right to denigrate that authority. No, sir. And uh, we, we want to get to that. If if you got the time, we'll just go on yeah. and we'll make two sessions yeah. out of this because this is really anointed by God here. I'm so, feeling the Holy Ghost. Uh, so that's part of it. When you got to Brother Keys, and you guys can yeah. kick in anytime. I'm yeah. just enjoying this. Uh, We're just like sponges <laughs> soaking, soaking it up. Um, so what was the psychology? What was the spiritual attacks? When you seen what God was doing, were there, was it just all straight go forward, or were you thinking? Well, yeah. whenever I whenever I realized... Uh, with Brother Howard, Brother Morgan, and Brother Stacy, when I realized they were good men that loved the truth just like my pastor, but had understanding of the fivefold ministry, and it was solid. It wasn't foolishness. It wasn't biblically yes, foundational. It, it was absolutely biblically founded, and I was in church with them a lot. I mean, I drove Brother Morgan all over the state of Oklahoma, driving three or four hours across state preach one night and driving back to the house. I get in my car and drive back to my house. I did that so much it was unbelievable. But that's what really got me because I'd see Brother Morgan moving in the Holy Ghost, praying with people in the altar. And I pray with people, pray people through since I was in Connecticut, since I was out of Bible school. But I was able to catch, that's the only way I can say it, some things are caught and never taught, Brother Howard said. And some things are just caught. And so was able to flow in it. And uh, when I got to Brother Keyes's, I was already at cross that bridge and was rolling in it. But Brother Keyes's church was the greatest evangelistic, apostolic, strong holiness church I had ever seen anywhere. 
they would <clears throat> they would hand out six to seven or eight thousand tracks a week. I, I saw them do it. I mean, they would have eight and a half by eleven sheet of paper in fourths. I've I've seen stacks of it in just rainbow of colors, and they would print them out, print them out, and they would stand at the door and hand them out. And there was there was guests every service, fifty, seventy, eighty guests a service, especially on the weekend. We had church Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday in the first eight weeks, and there were multiple guests. I mean, just even from drunks. People on the street, they would come and they would sit in the back of the church the first few weeks. Uh, and eventually they knocked that back wall down and doubled the seating. But they'd sit in that back row and there'd be ushers at the end of every pew. And many of them come to the front, they'd get delivered of the alcohol. Some of them that cast the spirits out of them. They'd get delivered, get baptized, they'd get them right into classes. They had all that stuff going. Had outreach classes, they had new convert classes, all of that kind of stuff going and Brother Keys had taught the year before on revival by the book of Acts. He said, my mindset was to brainwash the church of anything about evangelism that was not from the book of Acts. And so when we'd be in that service, he'd, they'd stop and say, uh, I want three people to come up here and testify. And they'd call three people and they'd come run down there and just stop a song. They'd start testifying. They'd tell about them getting the Holy Ghost. And uh, after about two or three weeks of that, they'd they turn around, Brother Keys, I got what you were saying about outreach. Da, da, da. Finally, one of them, a young lady, began to cry, giving her testimony. Brother Keys fell out of his seat on the ground. And he was saying, they got it. They got it. And the church had just transformed into their outreach. And I've been at Brother Johnson's, his son-in-law's now. I was there uh, the year before the pandemic and walked in on Sunday morning and worship started. And down in the front came eight women. A couple of them were street women. Others were guests. They came right down the front and were weeping. I looked at Todd. I said, my God. And he just stuck his hands out and laughed. He said, go ahead. In the first song, all eight of them got the Holy Ghost in about 10 minutes. They were baptized and worship was going on. It's just. That culture. It's a culture. They, yeah. <clears throat> and it's very. And the culture is the people invite people all over the city. During the revival, we were at the mall. And I'd hand out a flyer to somebody. We bought something. They said, what's that? And she said, oh, I got one of those the other day. I said, really? Where were you? She was completely on the other side of Modesto. So it got to where everybody knew. And there were politicians were coming. It was crazy. But he was he was one of those churches. The other church, to my knowledge, and I'm sure there's other churches. Mm -hmm. There are God's doing that with churches today. Mm -hmm. But my Uncle Leonard Westbrook. Mm -hmm. was that culture I mean you were in Walmart you got an invitation you got an invitation well they pray you through it they, <laughs> yeah. they pray you through at the bus stop they yep. pray you through in a basement it was just a culture of the book of Acts yep. where these people were totally sold out mm -hmm. to Jesus Christ I would yep. go up there my mom and dad would go up and they would play games and spend the evening with Brothers to Westbrook well the way we spent our evening is we would do laundromat ministry We'd go out and yep. dump all the Jehovah Witness stuff in the trash. I don't know if that's legal or not. <laughs> and we would put out apostolic, apostolic yep. stuff and witness to the people in the. I mean, it was that was what we did for fun. Yep. We didn't, you know. And I just that's the way I grew up. Yep. And uh, so, uh, you know, this th this culture is so important mm -hmm. uh, to the Apostolic Church today. Yes, sir. 
and and there are various new ways like we have social media and stuff mm -hmm. to me that's even a greater way if if mm -hmm. if if apostolic young men and young ladies would sell out they have the talents and the ability with animation and stuff yes to make social media a powerhouse mm -hmm. where they can show people getting the holy ghost getting healed yes you know with their with their with the skills that they have in graphics and stuff today it's just yes you know if and if you know just something this just comes to me yes if 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 we would do one thing with our social media and we would commit to not make negative comments about anything especially people or church people say something on there because you know you think well it's just church people connect to no there's up to thousands of people you're connected to and non-church people. My wife posted a picture of Melody singing the other night at that live recording. Uh -huh. There's already over 12,000 hits on that one reel. And that's the beauty. You know, if we would, you know, number one, we don't want to get into the gospel. And as Scripture says, railing. Railing is blasphemos in the Greek. And it means scurrilous, calamitous, impious, and it is blasphemer. When you rail against somebody, you have blasphemed. Yes. And that's in some of the material that I was going to be talking about. But that's the point. We don't need to speak over the Internet and on Facebook and Instagram and all the stuff that's out there. We just don't need to do that. Yeah. Let's go back to the word gospel, eulogy, the good news. That's right. And the Bible says, and I look for this and I cannot find it, somebody in the original languages helped me out but one time I was doing a study in the book of Acts the Bible says they went and I believe it's the word proclaiming and in the Greek it was the Greek word gossipe they were gossiping the gospel mm. instead of gossiping about their neighbors there and you stuff. go they were they were gossiping the good news that's right and that's the and that's the thing you know like the revival that happened in Modesto or at Brother Foster's it was equal to it I mean it was a God thing hundreds of it was over 450-ish. Got the Holy Ghost in the first three months there at Brother Foster's. I ended up doing a revival there for three years. And uh, it was it was absolutely mind-blowing. But there's a lot of places. I did one in Brownwood, Texas. Donnie Martin was pastoring there. After I'd been in Modesto about a month and a half, went there. I was expecting, you know, thousands to get it. And we had uh, 48 got it in two weeks. I stayed an extra week with him. And when I got done, Brother Martin was crying. He said, Greg, this is great. I've never seen 48 people ever get the Holy Ghost. And this is just, you know, and it dawned on me, oh, my God. You know, that's what this is about. You know, it's not everybody having an equal number of people praying through, but every church getting that culture, getting that culture yep. and believing they can, they can max out, so yep. to speak. You can break your, whatever your limits are. I mean, my church was eight people. That's what I grew up. And then I go to a church as an evangelist, and we'd have 25, 30 the first three years I evangelized. I was a month or month and a half at every church, and there'd be 20 or 30 every month. And my mom would be like, Greg, you got to be kidding. We haven't seen 30 get the Holy Ghost in X amount of years, you know, and we'd be talking about it. And it was blowing my mind. But all I was doing was preaching the gospel, praying, helping them with outreach, and Challenging that's the people. Challenging the people. To, called them to be. That's it. Just hand. It's just as simple as handing out a card, a business card, or a flyer. Yeah. Even like here, I don't know exactly where we're at on how many we've given out. Uh, given out 
flyers and we got mail going out. How many is that coming out to? I think right now since we started, we're with actual physical invitations, we're probably getting close to about 14,000. Beautiful. And that's during the tail end of the pandemic. Yes. Yeah. You know, I mean, the church here, March, I mean, when we came in March, great church, but all the people weren't here, you know, and so we were having to get going. And then after a couple months, the outreach started going, and we had a family yesterday that came because somebody gave them a card and we baptized them and she got the Holy Ghost and yes. he was so close to receiving the Holy Ghost. Mm-hmm. That's just in our church here in Pueblo. Right. Our church in Greeley, a man got in a little fender bender up there and so the gentleman that he got in the fender bender with, he said, I don't know if he had incense or not, but he told the brother in the church, he said, let me just pay you out of my pocket. The brother said, you're not paying me. But he said, here, take a church card yeah. And the man showed up to church and was in the altar yesterday. Yes, sir. So, you know, it's just that culture. That's right. And when a church, I think when a church uh, becomes evangelistic, where that's their number one goal, as a, as the outreach of the church, we're here to reach lost people. Uh, there's people that come to church that have never been to a church in their life. Yeah. Ever. And yes. they're good people. They ain't got a clue what church is about. Right. You know, but if we can just witness to them and give them a chance, and I think that's where most of our churches are, and, you know, this church is doing great. I'm loving it. Uh, but that's that's what happens. You go in and you can spark a church. And with Brother Keys, um, it was wonderful. We were able to preach, and, and a lot of people got to hold this, well, but it was more what happened to me. Because there are people that, there are young men, young ladies that are in smaller churches. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a church, I think, Clear back, and I preached revivals for Brother Keys back in the 80s, and he had 700 people mm-hmm. back then. Yep. You know, that's six, what it was when I got people. there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they had a whole lot more people mm-hmm. that could pass out flyers. But if you've got 40 people in your church, if you run two or 300 flyers or a cards week. a week, you're doing awesome. Just pass out one a day. Absolutely. You have to start there. Brother Keys, he was big of this. He said, Greg, the Bible says, if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you will sow bountifully. Reap and bountifully, if you don't yes. sow, yes. you're not going to reap. So it's real simple. If you don't do any outreach, you're not going to get anybody. That's right. Great. If you sow a little bit, you're going to get a little bit back. But if you sow great, you're going to get a great bunch, a bunch back. And so it was a point where you just hand them out. Hand them out to everybody you can. And God is keeping the records. We don't really care about how many we put out. Just put them out. God puts records, and you may hand one to this person here, and this person over here is driving by the church and sees the building, and they drove by it for maybe two years, never even noticed it. But that day they go by and see that church, and man, look at that. They got What's that sign up on it? We put banners up on the sides of the church, 40 feet long by 5 feet high in red letters, Revival in Progress, on three sides of the church. And people would show up because of those flyers, those banners. And they'd get the Holy Ghost, you know. Yeah. So it's just the point of doing what you can do. You know, we're on evangelism now. But just doing what you can do. You have to do something. And, you know, a church 40 or 50, if you got five or six that do it, that's probably the percentage we had at Brother Keys's. Of that 700, he probably had 100-ish that were solid about giving. And they just made a life of it. I mean, they put them out everywhere they could put them. And that was after a year of his teaching on it. Wow. 
I mean, he had, I mean, that was a year of him teaching on it by the book of Acts every Wednesday night and some Sunday mornings. Yeah. And it took hold, you know, and it's still in them. I mean, they just get the guess. And that's what's happening all over the country. You're seeing churches begin to really get into evangelism. And when that happens, people are going to start getting the Holy Ghost. Well, and I think that it, since we're on evangelism, I think that we are in the last days. Mm -hmm. And Jesus, you know, makes it very clear that, well, in the book of Joe, he said, in the last days, said, God, I will pour out of my spirit. Peter makes it very clear that the day of Pentecost was the beginning yes. of the last days. This That's is right. that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. Acts chapter 2 is actually a, an apocalyptic chapter in the Bible. He quotes out of Joel. Oh, yeah. The rest of that, he's talking about the end of the world. Yes. And we have a, a, an amount of time to do what God has called us to do. So yes. we have to evangelize our world. Yes. You know, that is the commission. Go ye into all the world. Yes. And preach the gospel. Exactly. And that was, I believe, that was the beginning of the last days. I believe. You know, and it's, uh, we get into dispensational days or whatever, but it is the last days. That was the first outpouring. Then the latter rain in 1906 that happened at Azusa. And that went around the world. And then known the world there. But now what we're on the brink of is the latter and the former rain together. Yes. And the Bible says in one month. Now, whether that's a literal 30 days or it means a short period of time, and then we're going to get out of here. So that's what we're on now is the last final outpouring and surge of the Holy Ghost, and then the rapture is going to take place. Right. And, and that's it, where we're at now. It's happening. Yes, sir. I mean, and I haven't traveled in the last two years, but what's going on in China, mm -hmm. what's going on in Vietnam, what's going on in Africa. Yes. It is evident that God is pouring out His Spirit. Yes, now, sir. The only reason I bring that up, if God will do that, in those places, he will do that in our cities. Absolutely. He wants to do that. He needs young men and young ladies that will sell out. Yes. You know, you brought up another thing. <clears throat> I don't know how long we've been going, but we're going to go as long as we can tonight. Yeah, don't really matter. We can split these up into different sessions. Yeah. We went four hours, Brother Booker. I love it. But um, you, you brought up the fact that... Uh, you know, it was such a powerful move of God there and other places. And, and again, I want to reiterate, you don't have to have a big church. No. For God to pour out his nope. spirit. No. Nope. Uh, while you're talking, I'm thinking of Brother Rick Mayo, mm -hmm. who has an incredible revival church right. in the Northwest in uh, the city of Spokane. They started in their living room. Yes, sir. I remember preaching there when they were in their first little building. Yes. Yep. And and now they're they're building a building that'll I think it'll seat over a thousand. Beautiful. Yeah. <clears throat> and up there, that's that is. Oh, it's unheard. That's of Holy Ghost earthquake. Holy Ghost earthquake, man. Yes. That's major. And and God is no respecter. And I know this is in reference to a, a battle that they fought in the Old Testament, but I believe that it is apropos to our subject right now. God doesn't, he can save by many or he can save by few. Mm -hmm. All he needs is people that have faith in him and will do what he has told them to do. Yes. You know, so. Yes, sir. Uh, that's really an important part, Jeff or 
Mitchell, is there something that you'd want to ask or say something to to Brother Godwin? I'm just soaking it up, taking notes. <laughs> That's right. I do I, think that breaking it down, and I know a lot of what we're talking about seems simplistic, but I think breaking it down, and we've talked about this several times, is so key to this podcast. Because mm-hmm. in a church setting, especially as an evangelist, you come in, you're trying to teach the church and reach Yes. in 30 minutes. It's hard to do that. Very difficult. But as young people, if they will buckle down and listen to this, they get it. Wow. Okay, so there's I got five young people in my youth group, but if we're giving out a church card a day, Correct. that's what? That's Massive. close to 100 invitations a week. Yes, sir. You know, so. Exactly. And, it, and for that church, that could be a bountiful amount of sowing in God's eye. I mean, it may just be five young people giving a card, and that might be in God's eye <clears throat> right. because it's a little church. It could be great. Right. And, I mean, you could be in a spot at a church. I mean, I was my first three or four years. I mean, I traveled in a little actor in and packed down front wheels, barely sitting on the ground, <laughs> and uh, had everything. And I had my, it was crazy me. I had my little golf clubs back in a little bag in the back seat, you know, jammed up Gregory and Brooke were saying was sharing a seat you know and with I had clothes oh yeah with my golf clubs and I had clothes in there and the trunk man just barely shutting but we'd go to churches and stay a month and they were churches in Oklahoma 35 40 50 people and I'm talking for some reason most churches back then and even now some church have guests coming and they tell we just can't get them prayed through um, so you know the evangelist comes in and there is a gifting on an evangelist. And when you preach, and if you'll and if and if evangelist is traveling, we'll focus on those guests and we'll preach the gospel simply. You don't have to get all into the Greek, Hebrew, and Swahili. You know, my thing is when I get to digging on a church when it locks up, you know, if there's a guest here, I tell them if there's one guest comes here, y'all can take a long walk off a short bridge. I'm preaching to the center. Y'all can sit there and nod your head at me. If you want to help me, you can say amen. But I'm going to preach to this center. Right. Because that's the gear when I go in as an evangelist. Now, I've been doing it 30 years. Now, it's changed a little bit. Sometimes I go in and teach, do some of this teaching on this material. God will have me dig in and dig in on the church that has having some problems, maybe in holiness, separation, or submission, whatever it may be. I've In the last 15 years, I've done more of that than I did the first 10. The first 10, I didn't mess with none of it. If there was a guest there, it was Acts 238 Calvary from... Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, whatever. And I just tell a story and take them to Acts and they would hit the altar because their visitors, they don't have a whole lot of biblical knowledge anyway. Right. They don't know what you're trying to do. Come here from Sikkim. They don't know come here from Sikkim about what you're doing. So, you know, you have to get through all that as a preacher, you know, and all the stuff you learn and know about preaching and uh, the text and all the deep stuff. You have to forget all that stuff when you're preaching for sinners. That's my opinion. That's what I do. When I'm preaching for sinners, I'm going straight to it.